All right. Now, if kids want to head out, they can do that now. It's good to be with you. Uh, all right, so we are continuing in this, uh, this final third of the book of Mark, Mark's gospel, this call to follow the king. And we come just off of uh, three weeks of attacks upon Jesus. These three groups have come to Jesus to present questions to him that are intended to throw him off of his mission to, to test him and to make a fool of him. We saw this, uh, this false dichotomy politically. We saw the, the mocking of the resurrection. We saw this hypocritical lesson about, oh yes, we're called to love, but in all of these, Jesus, he, he turned around what would be an attack and, and challenged their assumptions. He revealed their hypocrisy. He got to the heart of the matter and, and realigned them with the kingdom. And so we have this great victory of Jesus over his enemies. But now, now Jesus comes and he gets to ask his question. He gets to question them now. And we wonder, okay, what, what, is, what is he going to bring to the table? What is he going to say? And it's, it's different than I think we would expect it to be. And it's a, it's a little hard to grasp. So we're going we're gonna to wrestle with this question that he asked them uh, towards the end of, of seeing how, how does he bring the, the kind of the story of the gospel in a very small portion to these people. He presents the gospel to them and invites them to, to see their Messiah, to see the Christ, to see their Savior and their King. Now that has implications for, for how Jesus deals with us. How does he come to us? How does he question our, our hearts and our motives and our our allegiance to the kingdom, but then how do we, how do we go into the world and, and ask questions of the world? How do we present and, uh, and argue even for, for the sake of Christ when we're out in the world? So we're trying to piece all of those things together, and uh, let's go ahead and read our passage, Mark 12, verses 35 uh, through 37, a pretty short passage. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. All right, a short, kind of strange question. But we're going to see three aspects of this. We're going to see the, the incarnation. Jesus is, is entering into their situation in this question. We're seeing conviction, conviction of sin and conviction of, of pride and the idols that are driving the scribes. And finally, we're going to see an invitation to, to follow Jesus. Now, I think we can see that that kind of parallels the gospel as a whole, incarnation, conviction, and, and this invitation's call. And so with that, let's, let's pray and ask for, for help with this. Father, we thank you that you do not leave us in our ignorance, in our pride, in our foolishness, and, and our idolatry. And Father, we thank you that you come in, in such a personal way. You, you meet us right where we are. And you don't leave us where we are. You, you draw us towards our Savior, towards the Christ, towards our King. 
And Father, we ask that you would do that now. Would you, would you draw us towards Jesus? Would you remind us of gospel truth? And Father, would these things uh, not just remain here, would they be worked out in our hearts throughout the week? That we would see Christ and see him as uh, the great Christ that is over all of life. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so, so two sections here. Two sections here. First, what is he really getting at? Because I think that's actually kind of hard. And then we're going to go through wh- why he's asking this question. All right, so first, first, what is Jesus getting at? Why does he bring this question to mind? How can the scribes say the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. All right, so he is challenging the scribes' understanding of who the Christ or the Messiah is. All right, for some of you, that doesn't mean much. So the, the, the Christ, that's the Greek, Messiah, that's the Hebrew. Uh, for the same person, this is someone in Scripture who had been foretold for generations. He is the chosen one. The one who is appointed for this great task, and he has, there's prof- prophecy related to this Messiah that the people are, are, are looking for. All right, if you've read any young adult novel, if you've read any fantasy, like everything, everything talks about the chosen one. All right, they all got it from this. This is really, really, like, they're like this one would come and he's chosen and there's a prophecy. Uh, all right, this is the real deal. All right, so all of that was pointing to this. Um, Jesus, the, 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 the Messiah, the Christ, is this chosen one. I know I gave away the ending. Oh, man, uh, it's Jesus. Uh, <laughs> you'll, you, you probably figured that out. But, um, all right, so he has this prophecy. And the, the main prophecy we're dealing with is this prophecy that was given to David, the king, the greatest king of Israel. And he was promised that his offspring would be on the throne forever that there would be this everlasting kingdom and that his offspring, his son, would sit on that throne. Now, for, for generations, Israel has been looking and their kingdom has been totally ravaged. There isn't even a line of kings anymore. And so the people are, are desperately awaiting this one who would come, who would restore them to the great hope, who would establish this eternal kingdom that Israel would reign that, the, church, that the, the, the kingdom of God would be established. And because this was a promise to, to David's offspring, this Christ, this Messiah, this anointed, special, chosen one, he, he has to be a son. He has to be David's son, particularly David's great, 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 and so on, grandson. And so because that was kind of universally understood, uh, the scribes here, they, they say, oh, yeah, we, we know who the Messiah is going to be. He's going to be the son of David. The son of David. And if we've, we've seen already in Mark that title used for Jesus. So it's not that that title's wrong. That's true, but it's only, it's only true as far as it goes. And so Jesus is pointing out, like, well, yes, that's true, but there are other mysteries related to this Christ. And have you seen the full picture of who this Christ is supposed to be? There's deeper things here. 
is that the whole story? And so what he does, he, he goes to this, this psalm, Psalm 110, which was written by that same king, King David. And he notices something that the King David says. He says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. All right, so look at this. This is, there's two lords here. This is, this is the Lord God speaking to that Christ. And the important thing here is that David, King David wrote this. And he calls that Messiah, that Christ, my Lord. And Jesus is, and, and Jesus is pointing out that that's, that's not normal. But first, uh, what this doesn't mean. Don't, uh, what this doesn't mean. All right, he's not calling, he's not calling the Messiah God at this point. All right, just so we're careful on that. All right, see that first Lord? See how it's capitalized? That's the divine name of God. We represent it as Lord so we, we don't take it in vain. We use that instead. This other Lord, it, it's not calling the Christ God. It's, it's just saying that he is, he's a human master. He's a human Lord. And he's over King David. Now, I hope you understand how weird that is. All right. I hope none of you call your children my Lord and my master. All right. Like, like we, we, have, we have a little one. Like, you know, uh, my Lord, my Lord, can you ask me, like, why, why did you put your shoes on the wrong feet today? Would, would you, may I serve you and, and switch them? Like, no, no, they're fine. <laughs> master, master, we're eating. Would you like to grace us with your presence at the table? And yes, you have to wear clothes. You know, like, <laughs> why? Because that's just a rule. Like, I know, I know, the, the, the foolishness. Uh, all right, none of us do that. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. He's like, that's, that's weird. It's weird for him to do that. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't fill in all the gaps here. He just says, he must be something more than simply the son of David. Because there's clearly something going on here. And he kind of just leaves it at that. He drops the mic and, and leaves and lets them kind of ponder that in all of its mystery. Who is this Christ? Is it enough to just say that he is the son of David? All right, so that's, that's the content here. Just so we're all clear, uh, I would ask questions, but I'm not going to. Uh, some of you wish I would. But, uh. All right, so why does he ask this? He has all the questions in the whole world to ask these people who are, who are hypocrites, who hate him, who are his enemies, and he decides, you know, this is the best question for this group. I think if we go deeper, uh, we have to go deeper, we'll start to see this is, there's a, there's a beauty of the gospel here. Jesus, he's consistent in character. And we've seen the things that he did in the gospel, and they kind of play out in a, in a microcosm, in a small form, in this question, as he, as he ministers, in a sense, to the scribes, even as he rebukes them. And first, first I think we're going to see a bit of the incarnation here. A bit of the incarnation. What does it mean, the incarnation? That's when, that's when God, in all his divinity, he takes on flesh. He, he becomes like the people that he is ministering to. And he does this in, in other moments as well, not just in his birth, but he enters into the lives of his people. And so, as much as this may seem like this like, really weird question, we expect, I, I expect this like, kind of like, 
deep, heartfelt question, but that's probably just because that's me. Or other of us, like, we expect this like theological discourse on the cross and history, and why didn't you see that the Messiah had to come and die? Uh, some of us, we want, we want Jesus just to go for the jugular and, and just rip into them. But no, and, uh, instead, he, he does this highly academic discussion about the sonship of the Messiah based upon the first verse of Psalm 10. It's incredibly, what seems like, ticky-tack argument. And we have to recognize, okay, maybe this doesn't seem like the question that is, is deeply on our hearts. Or this doesn't seem like a great question to engage people. But, all right, not everything is about us. <laughs> and he didn't ask us this question. Who did he ask this question to? He asked it to the scribes. And the scribes, they are obsessed with the ticky-tack, nitpicky things of the Bible. All right, these are, these are people who, they, they, they're so into following the law that when, when God said, hey, give, give, give me 10% of the things you have, when they would buy spices, they would go home and portion out a tenth of their spices, and that's, that's God's portion. All right, that's, that's pretty minute. These were people who, who dedicated their lives to copying the scriptures and maintaining them. They would later describe, the, kind of compile these very ritual practices where they would count every single letter of Hebrew and make sure that it was utterly perfect, that they've preserved the word for us. This is that line. These are people who argued day in and day out, whose, whose minds were saturated with, how do we keep the law? What does it mean? How do we interpret it correctly? And so, when Jesus seeks to, to enter into the lives of these people, he goes, he goes right to their wheelhouse, to the things that they are passionate about, even if they're not things we're passionate about. He picks a question that is, is perfectly suited to them, these people who love every jot and tittle of the law. That's what they're into. And so, literally, what does he do? Uh, he, he points out the Hebrew here. All right, let's, I, I brought Hebrew for you. You're, you're all terribly excited. If we can get the Hebrew. Come on, Christine, get the Hebrew. There it is. All right, all right. Ah, uh, Hebrew. All right, all right, so, all right, the word on the left. That's Adon. That means Lord. That means Lord. Now, it'd be one thing if, if David called the Messiah Lord, the Christ Lord, because then that would be, okay, that's, he could just be recognizing that he's a Lord over, over others, but no. There's a little, see that little dash on the far left of the second word? There's a little squiggy, all right? That's called a yod. That says my in Hebrew. All right, basically, Jesus says, you know what? In all of the scriptures, in all of the Bible, have you considered that there's a little mark after that word? And the implications of that for your whole theory on the Christ and the Messiah, have you really taken into account that little yod? All right. All right. If anyone's entering into the, the game here, it's Jesus. All right. That he points out the whole Bible and wants, like, there's a letter in there you haven't accounted for. All right. That's, that's, a, that's a remarkable entering into their world. 
and he could have totally gone over their heads and just blown them away with all of the theology. And said, it's like, no, let's, we'll focus. I'll focus with you. I'll focus more deeply than you ever thought we could. And yes, I will, I will meet the standards of Scripture deep, more deeply than, than you can even fathom. That the scribes who would accuse Jesus of being against the law or, you know, it's really just about the heart. It doesn't really matter. No, he's crushing all of that and, and pointing out to them what they need to know. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota. In Hebrew, that's, that's a yod. Not a yod, not a dot will pass away from the law until it is accomplished. This is Jesus coming to fulfill this, this little my that is throwing a wrench in, in their understanding of the Messiah. That Jesus could be the son of David, yes. But he's something far more than that. He's, help, he's incarnating to help them see what the incarnation really is. That Yes, he's the son of David, but he's also the son of God, the divine one, who is called my Lord by King David because he is the ultimate Lord. He is, he is the God and King of all the universe. And he's kind of throwing that, that wrench into their theology so they might have to ruminate it. They might have to think about that little yod and it might haunt them. <laughs> And their understanding. Now, you are not scribes. I am not a scribe. So I find this kind of boring. <laughs> All right. But that's where we have this remarkable truth about Jesus that he comes to each of us like that. that he incarnates. He, he brings his gospel in, in a thousand and a million facets to his people to, to get into their hearts, to help them see and we have this great God who incarnates, who, yes, is divine, but then comes down and, and speaks to his people on their level. We have this one who can, who can care for the poor because he is poor, who can minister to the homeless as a, as a homeless person, who can go to those who are broken and ashamed and say, you know what, I, yes, I, I've been humiliated on the cross. I, I know. He can go, go to those who are, who are lost and lonely and say, you know, I've, I've been to the cross. I, I know where you have been. And, like, I can be all of these things to you and for you, and, and I'm with you. All right, this is, a, this is a remarkable truth about Jesus. And it's kind of the first part of the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus comes, and he comes as we are, to be with us as we are, so deeply that he could become sin for sinners, so that we might be the righteousness of God. All right, that is our great Savior. That is our great King. This is the one who incarnates, who, who, who is with us, and he dwells with us so richly. Now, we're going to take that one, one step further now. For those of you who are following Christ, you then are called to do that as well. 
That we don't get to hold on to our identity and just say, you know, I'm, I'm who I am and I don't want to have to change. No, that if we're going to minister, that we enter into the lives of people and we meet them where they are and we enter into the muck and mire or we have to elevate and, and speak their language and that if we minister, we minister to, to give them the, this kind of beautiful tailor-made gospel to the things that they love and desire and hope for. That's incredibly difficult to do, but that's how we imitate Christ. In the words of Paul, 1 Corinthians 9-2, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. He will become all things to all people to save some. He knows he, he cannot. He cannot save them all. That's not his responsibility, but it will not be because he failed to incarnate. Now, I'd call us, like, what are those parts of our identity that we cling to? What are the things that we, we hold out above other people instead of descending to, to be on their depth? Or, or things that we are unwilling to take up because it just seems too hard to, to meet them. All right, this is, this is how Jesus ministers in a remarkable way to these, these people who are his enemies. All right, let's look at the next step then. Okay, so Jesus incarnates, then he, he, he brings conviction. So it's not just enough that he enters in. All right, he enters in so that he can convict, so that he can break down their sin and their pride. Because in this, like, they have no qualms about, like, okay, tell me about the Christ. Oh, he's, he's the son of David. We already know. We already know Jesus. We don't need a lesson. And the reality is they do need a lesson. They don't understand, and their pride about their understanding of the Scripture is their downfall. And as much as they may love the Word and, and lift it up and study it, it hasn't resulted in, in true understanding. All it has resulted in is pride and an unwillingness to see. And so Jesus has to go into the thing that they most love, this thing that they think that they have a, such a grasp on, and he, he breaks it into pieces. He destroys their great love and their idol so that they can see the true Christ, the true Messiah, the one that they most desperately need. Now, that is a great kindness. It is a painful kindness, but that is a great kindness in the heart of Jesus. That he would enter in and these things that are clung to and are held up as hope, he, he dashes to pieces so that they might have a true Savior, a true one to hope in, a true one who, who can save. And as we're seeing how Jesus ministers to us in the same way, we recognize that, yes, he's going to do those same things to us. And he's going to come and, and break some of the things that we love, some of the things that we hope in. Some of the things that bolster us up are actually going to be things that, that he uses to, to bring us down so that we might see our desperate need of, of him. Now that's where I ask us, what is Jesus using? 
What, what already has Jesus used? So many of you have testimonies that entail the, the collapse of something that you held so dear. And that when that thing fell through, you were able to see Christ. What are the things that he used to, to break? You might have him. And then what are the things that he's continuing to break? Now remember, in these, these guys, these scribes, they had, a, they had a kind of right understanding. A sort of right understanding. But it wasn't complete. It wasn't full enough. And so it needs to continue to be broken down. All right, that's true of us as well. Even those who have, who have trusted in Jesus, he's still doing this. He recognizes that all of us, we don't see the full picture of Christ. We do not have a full understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And so I ask you now, like, what is he breaking down in your life? What is he revealing is, is broken? And you're putting all of this hope in, and yet it just keeps crumbling away, and you realize there's just nothing, no foundation there. As he does that, and as you look at your life and you look at the loves, my hope is you might looking, be looking to see more of who Christ is. Not that you'd be trying to fill the gaps with all these things, but that, that the, your understanding of Christ would grow. And so if Jesus is, is your great glory, then you start to see that all these ways that you're running after glory... Uh, are broken and, and fallen and, and Christ, you see, oh, like Christ is supposed to be my, my glory, He's supposed to be all of my acclaim and all of my, my greatness is wrapped up in Christ. And we say, take that for everything. As he breaks down idols of comfort, he realizes, like, oh, no, Christ is my comfort and my assurance. Christ is the one I rest in. Of course, I'm struggling to really find rest because I'm not looking for it in Christ. And we start to see that, that who Christ is becomes bigger and bigger, that those who are long, long, longing for a romantic relationship, he, he becomes as, as their, our spouse. For those who want riches and wealth, he comes and he says, you know, I'm, I'm your heavenly inheritance, your spiritual riches. And we start to see that Jesus, is, he becomes so many things. He becomes our hope and our comforter, our, our helper, our meaning. He's literally our food, the thing that we feast upon, the thing that sustains us. May Christ become more and more to you and more and more to us as we realize how broken our idols truly are. May we be humble enough to receive him when he breaks down all other things. That is his invitation to the scribes. That as their, their pride in the word and the scripture comes crumbling down, they might receive the Christ. Now that's that, that, that next level. All right, we do that in the lives of people. That's why Christians aren't sometimes enjoyed very much when, the, when we share the gospel is because that's part of it. It's part of showing the, the brokenness of the world and the glories of, and beauty of Christ. But it does take some brokenness and conviction 
and a showing things for what they truly are, they might see the cracks. We must be bold enough to really do that and be willing as an act of love because they desperately need Jesus. Now that takes us to the, to the third and, and final aspect of this. In this question, there is a great invitation. There's an invitation to choose a side to either be a friend and a follower of this king or an enemy. All right, so on the surface, this can look kind of this like, oh, this is just an intellectual debate. All right, look at the verse he's quoting. What does it say? It says, it says the Lord God said to the Christ, the Messiah, who Jesus is saying is him, uh, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And these guys are coming to Jesus, actively acting as enemies, and he's saying, you know what? Have you read this verse? All right, there's no way they're missing the subtext here, which is basically saying, yeah, if you're an enemy of me, you're going to be a footstool. That's what you're, you're creating for yourself. That yes, ultimately, that even the enemies of the Messiah end up serving him, serving him as a, as a picture of wrath and judgment and the, the righteousness of God against sin. And he's saying, that is one side. Do you want that side? Or, or do you want to be like King David? who is able to call this Messiah, this Christ, my Lord, even though he is the greatest king of Israel. He stoops down low and he says, you know, there, there is one who is greater than I, that I will call Lord. And the rest of Psalm 10, it, it talks about the, the dichotomy there between the enemies and those who choose to follow. Psalm 10, 2 through 3 the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. All right, look at this, this picture here. Okay, so, so either the enemies can be crushed by the scepter, but there's these others who, who come to follow, and they're dressed in holy garments. Now, how did they get those garments? How did they qualify to follow this king? I think the scribes, they didn't understand that about the Messiah either. They probably thought, well, yeah, you're supposed to, you're supposed to go find some. And you're supposed to obey the law and, and fight for the rituals. And, and we're, we're told that, no, what, what, where do we get these holy garments? We get them because our righteous and perfect king gives them to us as a gift of grace that when we believe in him, he clothes us with his righteousness. And that he washes us clean by his very blood, just as we said earlier, he became sin for, for we who are sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Right. That's why I remind us, we are enemies. We were enemies. Without Christ, we are enemies. In Christ, we then become these ones who are, who are following our king and joining him in joyful procession. 
It is not because we have done these great things. It's because we have been gifted the holiness of Christ on our behalf, and we have been clothed in him with all holiness and righteousness, that we would stand in him blameless and perfect on the day of glory. That is the work of our great king. And so I ask you, where, where do you stand? There, there are two sides here. Enemy or, or joyful follower. And I ask you as, you, as you walk, as you walk daily, are you submitting to the lordship of Christ? Are you taking up his, his charges? Are you taking up his desires? Are you, are you doing the things that are on his heart? Or are you quick to, to excuse them away? Are you quick to, to say, well, that's, that's not what I'm really called to. Or that'll just shake my life up too much. That's a, that's a failure to understand the, the fullness of the Christ and who he is. Are we submitting to, to his law? Not in the way the scribes did in this hypocritical outward way, but no, we, are, we, are we loving the law of God not as something to perform, but as something to, to glorify him and honor him. When you look at your life, are you fighting to obey the commandments? And when you're not, are you, are you really sorrowfully seeking repentance and asking for forgiveness and drawing back to the cross? And finally, are you, are you submitting to his work on the cross? Are you joyfully receiving the blood of Christ? Are you joyfully clothing yourself in his righteousness day by day, moment by moment? We have this this beautiful Savior who invites us to follow him. Let us both receive him and then do the same things that he does. Let us minister in his name. Let us incarnate. Let us convict and let us invite people to follow this great king. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we recognize that your, your heart is different than ours, that you are, you are wiser and you are gentler and and you are more engaged in the hearts of the people that you relate to. And so, Father, we, we thank you that that's how you minister to us. Father, we ask that we would not be cold-hearted, that we would not be fools who would become enemies, that we would not close our eyes to the reality of the Messiah. Would you help us to receive Jesus Christ not just as, as example or helper, but as your son, and as the one who, who died on our behalf and was resurrected to, to bring us renewal and rebirth and glory. Father, we, we ask that you would help us. Would you give us greater strength to, to imitate Christ? Not for any glory for ourselves, but that Jesus Christ may receive all the glory that's due to him in his kingdom. Would you bring that kingdom quickly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.